Over the last few weeks, as the world celebrated the winter holidays, Russia launched its most intense missile attack on Ukrainian cities since the start of the full-scale invasion. This attack killed and wounded hundreds. Now, similar attacks of this level are occurring on a regular basis. You are listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. The last week was also marked by a long-awaited event. Ukraine managed to bring home 230 prisoners of war from Russian captivity. It has been the first prisoners of war swap since August 2023 and one of the largest to date. This is our Explaining Ukraine podcast. It is produced by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I invite you to a regular conversation between my colleagues Anastasia Harasimchuk and Daria Sinhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, who analyzed key events in and around Ukraine during the last week. Let me remind you that Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me also remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal.ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Welcome in 2024. Explaining Ukraine Weekly is back, which means Dasha and I are ready to analyze the key events in and around Ukraine. We are stepping into the new year with the developments on the front line, as usual, and we are going to shed some light on um, successful operations in Crimea, a return of uh, Ukrainian prisoners of war, and then we'll zoom into the uh, topic of international arena, um, covering the topics of uh, Russia's and China's alignment, plus weaponry production, and uh, some uh, developments on um, North Korea and uh, Russia's uh, bilateral relations. And today's episode, we are going to start with very tragic and disturbing news from Ukraine. Russia continue, continues its inhumane, brutal attacks against civilian uh civilians, Ukrainian civilians, against Ukrainian peaceful cities. And today's morning was unfortunately another morning uh, which was full of fear and death danger for Ukrainians. Uh, Ukrainians woke up with air raid alerts. Early in the morning, Russia launched another missile attack, and this time against, against four regions, four Ukrainian regions. Uh, these were... Um, Zaporizhia, Dnipropetrovsk, Kharkiv, and Khmelnytsky, uh, but the air raid alert was uh, announced in uh, the whole country, Uh, but the targets, the main targets, were located exactly in these cities. Uh, So uh, there are people killed and wounded, but the exact number of victims is still uh, still unknown. Uh, The rescue works uh, are ongoing and uh, we, we will find out about the exact number of people killed and wounded later. 
Again, the residential areas were the main target of the attack, and uh, Russians used the whole range of missiles in its arsenal. These were Ha-101 cruise missile, Kinjal hypersonic launched ballistic missiles, S-300 and 400 ballistic missiles, hypersonic Ha-22 missiles. And they all, they all were targeted at the Ukrainian civilians at their homes early in the morning. Some people were still in bed. Some people were getting ready to go to work or uh, children were getting ready to go to school. So it was just an ordinary morning which was, uh, which was spoiled and which was interrupted by another brutal attack. And according to preliminary data, uh, for example, in Khmelnytsky region, in Khmelnytsky, uh, there is information about already two people killed and more than 20 uh, wounded. And uh, in, in uh, Dnipropetrovsk region, exactly in Krivirich, the uh, not only residential buildings, but the city center, uh, the city shopping, uh, shopping mall was, uh, was a target of an attack. And it's very difficult and, and sad to talk about it. Actually, several last weeks were marked with Russian unprecedented missile and drone attacks on Ukrainian cities. So we've experienced new wave of horrendous attacks, and they were the most massive since the beginning of the full-scale invasion. It is not a secret, and it's absolutely clear that civilian objects have always been the main targets of Russian attacks. But uh, lately, um, the Russians slightly changed their tactics, and now the main targets are not a part of civilian infrastructure or cultural objects, not only them. Uh, Russians are uh, targeting their missiles directly at the residential buildings, schools, hospitals, etc. So uh, the big uh, tactics like uh, the attacks against civilians is the same, but uh, nowadays Russians are targeting civilian uh, residential buildings much more than, than previously. And when the whole world was celebrating winter holidays, Ukrainians were trembling out of fear in their homes. Many Ukrainians lost their lives, many lost their homes, and um, I will uh, step slightly back and I want to tell you about several most massive attacks over the past several weeks. Uh, and I will not even mention uh, those ones which are happening in the frontline cities, which are shelled every day, day and night. And actually, we are experiencing these attacks every day. Uh, there are drone attacks, uh, not that massive. There are uh, ballistic uh, missile attacks, etc. There are combined attacks. And I will just tell about the most massive ones. So the first massive attack, which was the biggest over all this time, happened on the 29th of January, again early in the morning, uh, while Ukrainians were busy with their preparations for the working day. Uh, and uh, on that day, Russians launched 158 uh, air weapons at Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainian air defense managed to shut down 87 cruise missiles and 27 strike UAVs. 
the uh, main targets of the Russian attack uh, was almost the whole Ukraine and uh, the hits and the explosions took place in the major cities like Kiev, Odessa, Kharkiv, Dnipro, Lviv, Zaporizhia, and smaller cities like uh, Smila, Konotop. As a result of this brutal attack, 38 Ukrainians were killed and more than 160 were wounded. Again, Russia used all the types of air weapons except for caliber missiles. So these were strike UAVs, Ha-100, and one missiles, cruise missiles, uh, S-300, S-400, Iskander-M, Ha-22 cruise missiles, Kinjal missiles, Ha-31, Ha-59 ballistic missiles. Just imagine the whole range of missiles that were targeted directly at civilians, directly at residential areas and residential buildings. Another horrendous attack took place on uh, the 2nd of January, and this that time Kiev and Kharkiv uh, became the major target of this attack. 99 uh, missiles were launched, including 10 hypersonic Kinjal missiles and 35 Shahed drones. Uh, during this attack, five people were killed and uh, hundreds, uh, 130 were wounded. Ukrainian air defense shot down 72 air targets, and it is very important to know that 10 out of 10 hypersonic Kinjal missiles were shot down. Russia again attacked civilian infrastructure, residential areas, schools, hospitals, residential buildings, and and it's it's really really horrible. Uh, it, and it's also horrible when the tragedy becomes just statistics. You hear about a hundred people who were killed by Russian brutal attacks, and it's just a piece of news. But and and we keep living, we keep our mundane activities, but these are lives. These are the whole universes. These are unrealized potentials of Ukrainians who were killed. These are personal tragedies. These are heavy losses. These are wounded bodies and broken souls. Just imagine holidays period, Christmas, New Year. And um, even though Ukrainians didn't have, mostly Ukrainians didn't have days off uh, during this holiday period, um, Despite all the pain we are living through, Ukrainians are trying to attune to try to attune to this New Year's vibe. They decorated their homes. They were getting ready to celebrate these holidays, and just several missiles ruined everything. And let me share my own experience. I, I I'd like to tell you about my personal story about these attacks. And it's actually just one episode because hearing explosions has become a usual thing for all the Ukrainians, and and we already know what kind of explosion we hear. So, uh, and I I also want to tell that my story is not a dramatic one or. And I also want to emphasize that I'm extremely lucky one because I am alive. So I reside in Odessa and my city was a target of an attack not only on the 29th of December but on the New Year's Eve and it was a massive drone attack. Um, uh, late in the evening we had a small cozy celebration in a family circle. Uh, we cooked some favorite dishes and we were just talking and slightly after midnight uh, the attack began 
and uh, this attack, uh, the drones uh, were very close to my to my uh, residential building, and I heard them flying over uh, over my home. The explosions were extremely loud. The sky was uh, full of flashes, and yes, it was extremely scary. Even though I already got used to the sound of explosions, so me and my parents we were sitting in the corridor waiting waiting for it to end and we were extremely lucky because my building wasn't damaged not this time we are all safe and sound we didn't lose lose our properties and we are alive but the news were devastating like it was a new year's eve and all everything what we were doing uh, was reading about those people who were wounded or who were killed in Odessa and about their destroyed properties. So it was a difficult experience. And Russians were extremely happy about the way they greeted us. If read uh, their propaganda and read their, read their commands about, uh, about these attacks, they were extremely happy to cause troubles and uh, kill Ukrainians. Uh, and... The same night, due, uh, due to this tension, these constant attacks, all these events, my mom has hypertonic crisis. There were doctors, injections, ambulance, and all these memories are actually nightmarish. But again, even though me and my family were extremely lucky to survive and not to lose uh, anything in, uh, during this attack. So... Uh, it is painful to talk about it, and I'm sure that my colleague Dasha also has a negative experience to share with you. Yes, uh, Nastya, I feel very sorry for you and your family, although I'm happy to uh, listen to you today here and to uh, have a chance to talk with you, knowing that our team is uh, for now safe, if we can say so, in terms of uh, Russia's barbarous uh, actions. Basically, my experience is that uh, me and my family are residing in Kiev now, and uh, we usually use the rule of two walls, uh, meaning that uh, we are trying to find the room that is uh, more or less safe to uh, wait for um, to, for this threat to uh, past, but uh, today we um, had gone to a bomb shelter, namely uh, subways, because uh, we know we knew that uh, that is going to be a ballistic missile attack again. And during twenty uh, ninth of December, it was really harassing. Um, it's true because. Um, every explosion, the smell of uh, this explosiveness in in the air was so vast that uh, today we made a decision to to use the bomb shelter, and you, you know, seeing how um, you know, like little kids with their parents, grandparents, uh, people with special needs are trying to uh, save their lives, trying to save the most important they have, their pets. There are a lot of uh, there, there were a lot of dogs, cats, uh, some even uh, brought hedgehogs. Uh, whatever they can save, they, they tried to, to save. And uh, these uh, deliberate attacks are uh, surely um, illegal and the targeting of non-combatants are condemned globally 
Though when we talk about Russia, that uh, does that doesn't fit her because uh, basically it uses all uh, of the arsenal of terroristic uh, instruments, and uh, basically such actions uh, I believe will be su- subject to scrutiny by um, international law because we have to show that uh, this evil has to be stopped and it has to be uh, basically it has uh, to be held uh, accountable for all that it had uh, done for all this time and uh, but although the these actions are are really threatening people are scared uh, when i was um, in subways today i saw you know this steadily face before the aggression so yes we are scared yes we know that um every day is a gift in our uh, our day's life but overall i felt that this um, unitedness of the nation this uh, face that uh, stands firmly against the aggressor is today and we have to you know like save this face against this aggressor otherwise um it will see that uh, we are deployed we are basically uh crushed but that's not true and uh, i i guess that's the strength of ukrainian nation it's uh, its steadiness and uh, its uh, willpower exactly uh we Ukrainians experiencing that and we can say for sure that we are resilient and we are not going to give up. And regarding the celebrations, like, yes, Ukrainians were celebrating Christmas and New Year in their own ways. And um, nowadays, these two years, these holidays do not bring us uh, the same joy as it was before. The second year in a row, this is these are holidays with the taste of pain. But for us, for Ukrainians, it is rather a celebration of life over death. We decorate our homes even though we understand that there may be no home in just in a moment. And it is, I would say, it's celebration of resilience. It's celebration of bravery. Russians' aim is to kill us. And Russians' aim is to make those who remain alive paralyzed with fear. That is why we will not give up and we will keep living. We will live for those who died. We will keep building our country. Uh, We will try to do our best to develop it so that the deaths of our fellow citizens were not in vain. We will go to work. Uh, We will go to universities. We will meet with our loved ones to celebrate life. We will pray and root for our warriors and defenders everywhere, at work, at home, in damaged buildings, in bomb shelters, everywhere. Yes, we are not perfect. Ukraine has so many problems, but we are on this bumpy road to develop our country. And we are doing it uh, at the same time with fighting for our existence. And... um, There are so many talks about compromises, about the negotiations, about the inability to continue to continue waging this war against Russia because it's too strong. But never ask us to give up. We will never give up on our people, on our values, on our motherland. Nowadays, Ukraine is epitomization of freedom and values. 
it's not about rationality. It's about surviving. It's about existing. It's about developing our own land and developing our nation. Um, the whole world is supporting Ukraine and Ukraine is grateful to those who is standing by, by it uh, till these days. But there are more and more problems to seek the international support now, to prove that it is necessary to do that. It is necessary to show uh, un unity and power to the aggressor. Otherwise, the aggressor will go further. So while those who is covertly looking for excuses not to supply, uh, not to provide Ukraine with necessary weapons or funding, those who are trying to make us talk to a monster who is tearing us apart and drinking our blood, like who is asking actually to talk to a rapist who is committing this crime. Those who scrutinize the events on the front lines and try to analyze the failures of Ukraine. I would say that while these things are happening, Ukraine will keep fighting. Russians are killing us. Every moment each of us can die. But if it happens, we will die with dignity and conquered and resilient. We will keep epitomizing these liberal values. And we actually are proving that these are not empty words. And if Ukraine fails, it will be a huge stain on the whole civilized world, which is playing with the words about liberty, freedom and values. So... Uh, some several international uh, international media reacted on these brutal attacks um, by Russians on Ukraine, and they are calling their governments to uh, strengthen, to um, activize the support to Ukraine, so that we can protect our civilians and um, give a proper answer to Russian criminals for these attacks and for the crime of aggression. Um, in general. And um, I would like to finish this part with the words of the, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, which he told um, during, the, uh, during his interview uh, for The Economist. Um, he told about the negotiations with Russia. He commented on that. So I'm, I'm quoting what he, he told. What does it mean? Does it mean that we should sit down and say, excuse us, uh, but could you stop, please, or something like that? It's not our position. It's weakness. And he, Putin, feels it as an animal because he's an animal and he likes the smell of blood. He feels his power and he will devour you all together with all your EU's, NATO's, liberty and democracy. Just forget about it. I'm sorry for being emotional because it's hardly possible not to be emotional uh, when such things are happening. And um, why Russia is so effective uh, at uh, its attacks, including uh, at uh, Ukrainian civilians and Ukrainian peaceful cities, is that because this so-called axis of evil is getting more solidified and more effective. At, uh, during uh, one of the episodes, we talked about the sanctions uh, against Russia and the ways how Russia uh, managed to evade them. And uh, uh, Russia is also getting weaponry and some components to the weapons from its allies. Uh, and I'm talking about China, uh, North Korea and Iran. 
And uh, Russia and China deepen their military-industrial partnership. Uh, China keeps supplying uh, important um, class of modern machine tools to Russia. And uh, during the 2023, these supplies increased tenfold. And Chinese manufacturers now dominate the trade in high-precision numerically controlled devices that are extremely important to Russian military industry. Uh, the rapid increase in the supply of CNC machines, um, which allow extremely precise milling of metal, uh, actually is causing great concern among, among Ukraine's allies uh, because they are attempting to limit Russia's access to this equipment. But evidently, it doesn't work and Russia keeps getting this extremely important equipment. And um, talking about the weapons supplies from Russian allies, and here I mean the North Korean regime, the White House uh, told, reported that Russia had, has uh, begun using North Korean-made missiles, uh, ballistic missiles against Ukraine. Uh, so we know that North Korea recently provided Russia with uh, ballistic missiles and launchers uh, for their use. And according to the U.S., now um, Russia uh, is already using uh, these missiles. And um, there is information from the U.S. intelligence that these missiles were already used during the uh, attack on the 2nd of January. However, the spokesman of Air Force of Ukraine, Yuri Ignat, said that um, Actually, Russian and North Korean military-industrial complexes are uh, closely interconnected. And actually, that's also why it is very, uh, very easy for Russians to use the North Korean weaponry. Uh, and uh, when the um, process of uh, identification of the components of missiles is going on, it is actually quite... Um, difficult to uh, identify uh, what type of missile was used uh, due to this uh, similarity and connectivity of their military-industrial complexes. Uh, also, uh, the Wall Street Journal um, reports that Russia uh, is planning to buy short-range ballistic missiles from Iran. So not only North Korea uh, is a supplier, and the supplies are already taking place, but uh, Russia is going to buy these missiles from Iran. And it is necessary to react to such actions because uh, otherwise, without a resolute response to such actions, it won't be possible to stop these brutal terrorist attacks of Russians uh, on Ukrainian civilians. And... Um, the last week was also um, full of news about the developments on the front lines. Dasha, could you tell us, uh, please, what is going on there? Yes, just today, while trying to stay safe, uh, I scrolled over the UK intelligence report and I thought that it is quite uh, verbous to know. And um, basically, uh, it assessed uh, that over the past week, the situation on the front line continued to be characterized by either a static frontline situation or localized advances by Russian occupiers uh, in some areas. Uh, in the north of Donetsk Oblast, Ukraine is holding a stable frontline despite small-scale Russian attacks around Bakhmut. 
Um, if we talk about central part of Donetsk, uh, fierce fighting is still taking place for Avdiivka, while the occupiers, um, let's say, consolidated their gains near Marinka in late December, allowing them to advance to the western outskirts of the city for uh, overall nine years of fighting in this area. Uh, because we should recall that uh, this war uh, started uh, in 2014th, not just in 2022. Um, operators of the Special Operations Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine have eliminated uh, enemy groups on the outskirts of Avdiivka. And uh, in this sector, enemy does not abandon attempts to advance. However, um, our forces, in cooperation with friendly units of uh, uh, our defense unit, continue to hold back the enemy, inflicting uh, significant losses. Also, the UK Ministry of Defense said that previously Russia's tactical air power had been playing a key role in the southern of Ukraine, especially attacking Ukraine's bridgehead over the eastern bank of the Dnipro River. However, the downing of uh, Russian combat aircraft made it impossible for Russia to conduct offensive operations in this year, and it is noted that through late December, Ukrainian forces shut down three Russian Su-34 combat jets over southern Ukraine, and uh, basically it completely ceased crude operations in the south by uh, Russia's air force. As for now, in southern Ukraine, Russian airborne forces made um, minimal progress in uh, new attempts to dislodge, let's call it in such a way, the Ukrainian bridgehead on um, the eastern bank of Dnipro uh, near the village of Krynke. But as noted, the Russian army continues to conduct a large-scale but unsuccessful offensive near Kupyansk. For example, um, and that uh, that is quite um, that speaks volume. That British analysts note that in 2023, the average daily losses of Russian personnel killed and wounded increased to almost 300 per day, which is more than in uh, 2022. On average, uh, we can say that. Uh, we see this pattern that uh, comprehensive special operations of Ukrainian side um, are carried out on the territory of uh, temporarily occupied Crimea, for example. Uh, for example, on January 4th, uh, the targets uh, was um, the ammunition depot near the village of Hryshene and uh, uh, Russian radar positions at the Saki airfield, and they were carried out successfully. Uh, and I have to stress that our brave warriors are defending us and we must do everything we can to help them. Uh, so uh, you can donate uh, to our Patreon, you, you can be the voice as well as we are of our prisoners of war and just trying to support the career of our uh, defenders who help not just to uh, save sovereignty of Ukraine but also are um, keeping the fight for the whole Europe. This this stance is quite clear. And uh, I have nothing left to say except that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has emphasized that Ukraine needs to strengthen its air defense in order to deprive Russia of the ability to control the sky and thus ensure the enemy loses its power on the battlefield. So the formula is that 
Russia to lose power on the battlefield as soon as it loses control of sky. And there is a lack of air defense both on the battlefield and for the defense of Ukrainian cities across the country. There were uh, 500 strikes within a few days. And yes, we managed to repel most of them thanks to the help of our partners, but that's not enough. And uh, if Russia loses control of the sky, it will lose its powerful um, impact on uh, battlefield. And uh, on this note, I guess Nastya has something to say on more positive perspective of our international arena. So um, if we talked about access of evil, maybe now we can talk about access of good. Yes, Dasha. And I, I, I want to share positive news uh, about the strengthening of uh, partnership uh, between Ukraine and its friends, and now I'm talking about Japan. On the 7th of January, the foreign minister of Japan, Yoko Kamikawa, came to Kiev on an unannounced visit, and it was her first foreign trip this year and her first visit to Ukraine. She visited Irpin, Bucha, she met with her vis-a-vis Dmitry Kuleba and the prime minister of Ukraine, Denis Shmihal. Uh, her visit uh, was... Uh, was a symbolic and a very practical. Uh, so she told that she came to show that Japan is determined to support Ukraine uh, in order to um, peace comes back to Ukraine as soon as possible. Uh, so it was the symbol of support. It was the expression of solidarity with Ukraine and Ukrainian people who are defending their country and who are defending Europe. Talking about the practical side of the visit, Uh, Yoko Kamikawa announced about the allocation of $37 million to help Ukraine to purchase drone detection systems so that Ukraine can repel air uh, drone attacks more effectively. Also, to help Ukrainians survive the winter, Japan provided five mobile gas turbine generators and four transform, uh, seven transformers. Uh, which is actually a big, uh, big um, aid in the sphere of energetics. Uh, the ministry also expressed the idea of supporting Ukrainian education, healthcare, and the construction of shelters for women and children. Uh, so uh, she told that Japan will resolutely demonstrate its commitment to the restoration and reconstruction of Ukraine within the framework of a close public-private partnership. So what, what is meant here? Uh, Japan has been providing uh, Ukraine with humanitarian aid and support, and it's actually the main uh, field of activity of Japan in terms of um, helping Ukraine. And now the state is um, trying to put more effort in uh, public-private partnership, public-private cooperation, Uh, to uh, fulfill more tasks in the sphere of restoration and reconstruction of Ukraine. And with this aim, on the 19th of February, uh, Japan will organize a Japanese-Ukrainian conference on promoting economic reconstruction, and the Ukrainian prime minister will take part in, in this conference. Uh, so uh, Ukraine is also interested in locating production facilities of uh, leading Japanese companies in Ukraine, and this also will be one of the topics to discuss during this uh, this conference. Uh, we, we can uh, say for sure that 
Japan is the main friend and partner of Ukraine in Asia. And uh, Japanese endeavor to help Ukraine is really significant since the very beginning of the full-scale invasion. Um, we know that Japan decided in the end of the 2023, Japan decided to allocate uh, $4.5 billion dollars um to um in terms of humanitarian aid uh, and uh, to invest in the projects uh, of reconstruction uh, and this money will be distributed through the mechanisms of international institutions uh, japan also um in coordination with the undp the government of japan uh, implemented a project of international technical assistance in the field of humanitarian demining Uh, so the state uh, provided uh, the pyrotechnic groups, uh, cars for pyrotechnic groups, equipment uh, for demining, uh, etc. Uh, Japan also plans to allocate a hundred and sixty million euro to support uh, support projects on economic recovery on Ukraine. And what is also important to note, in October, Japan and Ukraine started the first round of negotiations on security guarantees. So uh, Japan has become the first country after the USA, Great Britain and Canada uh, with which Ukraine has started uh, joint negotiations on this topic. Um, and it is quite understandable why Japan understands Ukraine so well, because it has the same insane neighbor. And according to the ambassador of Ukraine to Japan, Sergei Korsunsky, Russia can keeps conducting exercises in the northern territories. It uh, constantly flies strategic uh, jets around the Japanese islands, and it also sends its flotillas to the Pacific Ocean and the Sea of Japan for um, joint exercises exercise with Chinese. And all this uh, doesn't go unnoticed in Japan. Uh, it is also important to emphasize the nature of uh, Japanese, uh, Japanese state and its uh, pacifist policy. And it, the, uh, Japan doesn't have its armed forces. It has only the forces of defense. Uh, that is why uh, Japan is focused on humanitarian side of the assistance and it doesn't provide any uh, military support. It is uh, provided in its constitution. However, uh, Japanese government has decided to send uh, Patriot air defense missiles to the United States of America. And uh, to do that, it uh, has changed arms export rules, which is a big uh, change uh, in its pacifist policy. Uh, so, uh, and this step is extremely important to Ukraine, and I will explain why. Uh, so previously, Japan uh, could only uh, transfer the components of license equipment to the countries that issues the manufacturing license. License, but according to the new rules, now Japan can also um, provide these countries like she send uh, the the whole products, the finished products, not only the components. Uh, so. Um, Uh, Japan agreed to send uh, the uh, missiles for Patriot air defense systems to the United States, which doesn't mean that, that they will uh, come to Ukraine because Japan still bans arms exports to countries at war. And um, 
the US cannot send these uh, missiles anywhere without Japan's consent. But still, these Patriot missiles uh, could replenish the US stockpile and the US uh, would manage to send its own missiles to Ukraine to defend Ukrainian skies. It is also a very interesting fact that uh, Japan uh, had the image of a country close to refugees for long years. And according to the State Immigration Agency, over the past 40 years, only 915 people have received um, asylum there from over 87,000 applications, which is uh, slightly more than just 1%. But Japan's migration rhetoric changed um, with the start of the Russians' full-scale invasion against Ukraine. And uh, the country uh, received more than 2,500 Ukrainians there, uh, hosted uh, more than 2,500 Ukrainians. Uh, So uh, it is almost three times more than the migrants from all other countries uh, over the past decades. So Japan even changed the migration rules for Ukrainians. Uh, Ukrainians that, um, not only those Ukrainians who have relatives or acquaintances, uh, which are called guarantors there, uh, received uh, shelter there and social support, but just all those who fled from Russian aggression. And um, Japan calls these people not refugees, but evacuees. And it's... um, It is very telling about the partnership uh, between Ukraine and Japan and about uh, who is the most important uh, partner in this region and who is the best friend of Ukraine Ukraine there. And um, we want to finish today's episode with the positive news. It is the most positive news uh, for Ukraine over the last two weeks, and if we talk about the uh, swaps of the prisoners of war, it is the most positive news since the uh, summer of 2023. Dasha, tell us please about this great news. Yes, for sure. This news was very long awaited and Ukraine has bought more than 200 Ukrainian warriors and civilians from Russian captivity back home. Uh, this was reported by Verkhovna Rada Commissioner for Human Rights, uh, Dmitro Lubinets, um, that a total of 230 Ukrainian warriors had been released from Russian captivity. And in his words, those who defended, uh, those people are those who defended Mariupol and Snake, or uh, how we call it, Zmyini Island. Um, Lubinets emphasized that the Ukrainian authorities will continue efforts to bring all Ukrainian citizens back home, and so far a total of 2,829 Ukrainian prisoners of war have been released from Russian captivity as uh, part of this uh, prisoners of war swaps. Uh, Russia has repeatedly refused Ukraine's offers to take their prisoners of war as part of exchange efforts. Um, And um, basically, we we see that uh, it absolutely ignores the Geneva Convention on the Treatment of Prisoners of War. Um, For example, the Russian prisoners in Ukraine uh, were visited every month by representatives of the International Committee of the Red Cross and were in contact with uh, their relatives. But our prisoners never once saw a representative of the ICRC and none of them were able to 
um, communicate with their relatives, uh, loved ones, and uh, receive a, a letter from them. And again and again, we record violations of uh, the Geneva Convention by Russia. But as uh, Ombudsman said, um, he would demand that the ICRC document every violation of the rights of Ukrainian prisoners of war and demand the Russian side shift its approaches to the exchange. And as for now, that's it. We are very thankful and grateful for staying with us, for supporting us. And please hit the support button if you still haven't. Each and every donation is important. Thank you for your attention. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. This was a conversation between Anastasia Harisimchuk and Darya Sinhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, who analyzed key events in and around Ukraine during the last week. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you.